NBA GOAT Jad Ford, Locked On NBA Draft host Raphael Barlow, and Locked On NBA host John Krause will be live this year covering the NBA Draft. It's Locked On NBA Draft 2021, brought to you by Built Bar. Get local expert analysis on each pick. Follow Locked On NBA on YouTube today and watch our live coverage on July 29th at 7 p.m. All right, got a good one here. Sat down with Billy Reinhardt from Nets Daily to talk all things NBA offseason. He gives a really in-depth breakdown of where we stand with the big three, Spencer Dinwiddie, Bruce Brown, some free agents to target. It's a really great conversation. Hope you enjoy it. I'm going to get into it, but first, the theme music. You are locked on Nets. Your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Nets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. I'm Doug Norrie. No Adam Armbrecht today, but that's all right because we are here, or I am here, with Billy Reinhart from Nets Daily to break down some of the Nets offseason moves. He's been tweeting furiously uh, about every single possibility in the world that could happen to the Nets. Billy, how's it going, brother? Doing well. How are you? I'm good, man. Excited to talk about it, get a good comprehensive look at what's happening here for the Nets this offseason. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting one. If you don't follow Billy on Twitter, uh, you're missing out. And I suspect that if you're listening to this, you are. It's at Billy Reinhardt on Twitter. He's uh, he's keeping it on lock in terms for Nets Nation in terms of information, uh, giving everyone the lay of the land. He's also been doing a bunch of great work on Nets Daily, uh, giving comprehensive looks at what the Nets are in store for the offseason. We've talked about some of the stuff that he's written about already without having him on the podcast, but wanted to start to pick his brain here today and about what the Nets uh, could be looking at. And uh, before we get started with that, though, do you want to give me your, um, I didn't tell you in the off air about, I was going to ask you this, so apologies if I put you on the spot, but I feel like you're probably fine. Uh, any quick um, final thoughts here? We did a, I did a, Adam and I did a Giannis uh, gush fest uh, yesterday for yesterday's podcast. So <laughs> we covered that, but uh, any quick final thoughts before we get into the Nets? Yeah, it was a little more exciting than I thought it would be, especially, I mean, the first two games were a little lackluster, but once you got back to Milwaukee, the series really picked up, and it was really a tale of two series, right? Suns were in control, and then the Bucks went home and just went four straight. It's something you rarely see in an NBA Finals. I'm personally someone that still thinks, um, while it was a competitive and good series, like it was a good watch, it was good basketball, very competitive, I think it lacked the elite level of play that you typically see um, in a Finals matchup. So um, a little different from prior years, but, I mean, it's all – based on what your, your taste is in it. And uh, I think it was better than I expected, but um, I hope next year we really get the the really stacked teams in there because I mean that's where I like to see the two best go at it. And I think we can confidently say, uh, I think Nets fans can feel good about the idea that uh, we can go confidently in the offseason and say, oh, if we'd been healthy, we would have won. I like that. I like that's the, uh, <laughs> that's the. Nets uh, are the only team that took the Bucks in seven games. It was easily the Bucks' hardest series. And they took them seven games in an overtime. And there was a hobble James Harden and no Kyrie for much of the series. So, I mean, I think everyone is in agreement that this is would have been the next championship had they not gotten hurt. But 
Um, listen, they, they didn't win the title. They go into next year and they got to hope that they don't get hurt the same way they did this year because that's unpredictable. And that seems to be the only thing that could be in their way of, of a title. Yeah, it's like it's a seven games of regulation and then a Kevin Durant big toe. And then that was kind of the uh, <laughs> the end of it. All right, let's roll through some of the offseason. This is a really interesting offseason for the Nets. In some ways, it doesn't have a, it doesn't have the same level of intrigue around the superstar piece that um, you might think it would around Nets Nation because the big three are under contract. But there is the possibility around extending them uh, around in August. So I don't. Let's get your thoughts here around while KD, Kyrie, and James Harden are all under contract for next year as of right now. They're up for extensions. Uh, they all three have player options for the 22-23 season. Where do you think this kind of lands? Like, do you think we see extensions now? Do you think they play out the season? Do you think the player options become a piece of it? Uh, what are your thoughts on just the like sort of like, cause this is a time that we can start talking long-term, at least around the big three, if the Nets and those three guys wanted to go that direction. Yeah. I think all three are going to be playing for the Nets at least another year after this season, whether that means they sign a one plus one extension, a one year plus a player option before the season, or maybe, I mean, we've seen KD in the past with the Warriors play out the season, be fine with going to Fridge and then just re-upping from there. Um, after opting out from, from his player option, I, I could see that too, although that would be a little stressful going into a, the final year here that you're guaranteed to have KD, Harden, or Kyrie, and um, none of them are locked up beyond that. So I think ultimately this gets done that they all sign one plus one extent, except, um, excuse me, extensions, um, kind of take a little bit of the pressure off the nets. And Harden already said when he was asked at the, the end of the season presser, he was like, um, yeah, this, this team's definitely sticking together for now, at least. You know, I think Brian Lewis asked him that question. Um, does this give you any doubt about how this team is going forward? And he gave a very confident answer that um, that was almost like a silly question that they're going to be back. So um, I'm confident in that. I think KD signed up here for four years. He obviously missed his first year with injury. The Nets really haven't had a chance to to put this thing together yet. So um, and, and they're also they're not going to find a better situation anywhere right now. I mean, they're in the peak of their dominance or what should be their dominance, and they're going to be the favorite this year as they were last year and probably a couple of years after that. So I think they're going to take advantage of this opportunity. Kyrie, I think, wants to stay here as long as possible. I mean, in Kyrie's perfect world, I think he retires a net, um, but he's the third leg of the big three. So in the case that KD or Harden ever did leave, it would be interesting to see how the Nets handled that with Kyrie. Um, but uh, I, I do think they're all going to sign one plus one extensions in August. That would be my guess. And if not, I do think they um, all re-up for at least a year um, at the end of the season. Yeah, I think that makes total sense around the the part where they sort of seem locked in together. They are, you know, probably at this point, not pot committed to the group, but at least pot committed to the idea that they, it's going to be one thing if they had, if they had been all healthy and it hadn't worked out and right. And now you're all kind of there. Each of them is looking around and saying, Oh, maybe this isn't the best situation. So not to say that the injuries afforded them not to say, you know, cause I think we agree that they would have won had that had not this other stuff, you know, the injuries not happened, but short of that with the injuries, it allows them to kind of look around and say, they can kind of tell themselves the same story, which is true, right? <laughs> like they, they, but the story remains the same where they can say, oh yeah, we would have won it. So that means we can kind of lock ourselves. Like, is that what you're saying? Like we can lock ourselves into longer term stuff because even yeah, though I, we, we I, didn't I, prove it, but we kind of, we kind we didn't prove it. We kind of did. I mean, I mean, also to take account the status of these players, I mean, they're the elite of the elite. So they, they kind of control all the cards. And I think they all like having that, that short-term one plus one kind of option because it protects them another year in case they got injured or something like that. You know, these guys are probably max players like KD was, even if they get injured. Um, but it kind of keeps pressure on management a little bit. The fact that they have only one year 
Um, you, you can't, it's easier to have some leverage in that way and really force management to spend more and make some more moves um, than when you're locked up for three, four years and, and they got you here anyway. So I, I think they, they like that, that leverage standpoint there, but um, yeah, I, I'd expect them all to be back at least another year plus after this one. Yeah. I think the, I agree with you. I think the safe money is on that. We've sort of talked about that in the past that this is um, yeah, the group, at least, at least for right now and the NBA superstars have nothing, if not fickle, and most people are fickle, but <laughs> superstars seem to be especially wanting to, like you said, control their own narrative. And they should, they're, they're the product that makes it the whole thing spin. So you should be the ones that are able to, are able to make things happen. And I think, but I, I agree with you that in the end that I, this is probably where we land uh, with that group. All right. More with Billy Reinhardt here in a second. First, got to talk to you about our friends over at Rock Auto. The makes, the models, the parts. It's hard to keep track of these days. If you're a do-it-yourselfer, that is why you need Rock Auto. You save time and money. Two stats you love to see when you use Rock Auto. You're spending 30, even 50% less than some of those local chain stores and forget about your mechanic. You know you're spending less than that place. It's a family business serving, like I said, those do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Reliably low prices on Rock Auto for every single customer. Super easy drag and drop menus to find all the car parts you need. Search by make and model. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpets. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck Right, locked on in the how did you hear about us section so they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, let's move on to, uh, I think, the next, the next guy on Nets fans' minds, uh, the one that's been controlling a good part of his own narrative is a super smart dude. Uh, I think kind of gets, saw you kind of actually mixing it up with him, not mixing it up, seeming to agree with each other on Twitter a little bit, and that's Spencer Dinwiddie, um, who is in a very interesting situation right now. I'm actually not going to couch this by anything except to just say, what's your read on the Spencer Dinwiddie situation now, where he stands. We've kind of heard what he wants. Um, he was pretty clear about it on the Beck podcast. Um, and so, you know, that's, that part is not new, but where's your, where do you kind of land on, on what, you know, anything you think about Spencer Dinwiddie, where he lands, what happens with him? Yeah, how I feel about it and what I would do if it was my money as Joe size is probably a little different from how the Nets feel. Um, that's just my gauge on it right now. I think that they like Spencer Dimity as a player. They view him as more of a luxury than than um, maybe than what I think he is, given the injuries of Kyrie and James Harden last year. I think he's a very important piece, and he can play with the two of them and play 30 minutes per game and potentially close in lineups with them. So I think he's more than a luxury. But um, I don't think they're going to go – much above 20 million, if even at 20 million for Dinwiddie. And Dinwiddie brought up he wanted five for 125 potentially from the Nets. I think he knows he's not getting that either, but he's starting up high with his negotiations. Um, I think ultimately Dinwiddie's going to get some offers in the the four year 18 to 20 million dollar range. I think that's going to be ultimately about where he lands. Maybe he gets a, a bad team with a ton of cap space that gives him a little bit more than that. But I think. There are going to be teams out there that point out the two ACL injuries. I'm personally really not worried about that. I think ACLs at this point with, with the modern science, people recover from those very easily. Um, those used to be like Achilles injuries where it was a kind of a death sentence to a career, but no more. I mean, it's you, you find so many players around the league who have had ACL tears. His last one was partial. He's already back healthy. The Nets own doctor who performed the surgery said that Spencer looks like Spencer already. So um, I have no worries about his health going forward, but I, I do think the Nets – are going to view him as more of a luxury than some other teams where someone might want to pay him 
22 million, 20 million to be that starting point guard. And the Nets are going to try and justify, well, does that make sense to playing, paying their backup point guard that money? Whereas to me, that doesn't make sense. But I think um, the Nets are looking more at sign and trade scenarios where they can get something back. Yeah, I think that's where we kind of landed also that it's a, it's one of these weird spots where, and that seemed to fall into this spot a lot. And this is what happens when you're a good team is that you not like these guys are reclamation projects, but you, they have a good development system. Like they, they know what they're doing. They are able to develop players. They've able to take players that are cast off sometimes from other teams and turn them into much more than they were worth. And that feels like the situation with Dinwiddie right now, where it's the Nets did a great job. He's going to get paid. And it just doesn't, I get maybe let me make sure I'm agreeing with what you're saying. It, at this point, it's it's worth it. Would you say it's worth it, but it's a redundant asset and therefore it lands like maybe outside of where the Nets want to go? Is that what you're saying? I think I could definitely see them justifying not paying him by saying that he's the backup point guard and doesn't make sense to allocate another 20 plus million to the backcourt. So um, like I said, would you, I, would you agree with that? Like, would, is that what you, I just want to make sure I'm getting there. Right. I don't think so. I don't think so because they're over the cap without an avenue to add a player anywhere near Dimwitty's caliber, unless they do a sign and trade and they get an equivalent player back. But if you're taking an equivalent player back, like a Marcus Morris, he makes 16 millions. You're paying almost the same amount as Dimwitty anyway. So um, if money is the issue, I, I don't necessarily know how that, that plays a factor there, but you, when they're over the cap like this in this win now era, and they haven't won a title yet. It's one thing if they won the title this year, okay, fine. You're not as, starving to win again you know you can more justify having a player leave like i could see the bucks doing something similar to pj tucker this year not wanting to pay him now going to free agency because they won um but when the nets they haven't won a title yet this is a you don't you realize how quickly errors can change your title window can close in an instant we were just talking about kd hard and kyrie who knows what they do they could leave in a year um and, and then it's right out the window so i think when you're over the cap like this without an opportunity to replace a player like dinwiddie a 20 million dollar player um I don't think you let a guy like that leave an asset like that leave for nothing. I mean, if they wanted to trade him at the deadline and try and get something back, I understand he was hurt and his value was diminished, but at least you get something back. I don't think you should let a player that good leave when you're in this spot. I think as long as they get him at something that's not complete overpay, every asset's movable in the future. So yeah. if they find that they, they have to they, they make it too much money and it's not working fine, you can trade them, but at least you have him as that asset and you keep him in the building right now. So I, I, I'm just not a believer of letting really good players leave for nothing. And um, they have no avenue to replace him with anyone similar. So um, I, I think he could, like I said, I think he could play with Harden, with Kyrie, um, his defense, his athleticism, his versatility. I mean, that's all stuff the Nets need. They need some versatility. They need athleticism. So he's six, six, he could play one, two, three um, with all those guys. So I, I like his fit personally with the group and with Kyrie's injuries, he's missed five of the last eight playoff runs. So, and the only two he was healthy really was, so three, well, he was healthy for three, but two of them was with Cleveland 2016 when they won the finals, 2017, they lost to the Warriors in the finals. And then that one year in Boston where they were out in the second round, but Kyrie's been injured year after year. I mean, if the Nets had just Dinwiddie this year, they'd probably beat the Bucks. They just need a little bit more. So, I mean, you never know what's going to happen in the playoffs. I think you got to keep good players. So it would be a really tough pill to swallow. Let's venture leave. I think I, you, you you touched on something that we've been trying to drive home at, at times over the podcast is that the idea where, you know, when you have a player or when you, let's say, like in the t I'll wrap this back to Dinwiddie in a second, but when you trade for a guy like James Harden, sometimes, and you give away all these draft picks, right? Or like, and that's, you know, that, that trade is going to look like a, the, one of the most lopsided ever, but like that's, so maybe that's not the best example. But in general, when you have guys 
it's not like when you pay them or when you trade away draft picks, it's not like you just drove the car off the lot and then crashed it into a tree and you can't do anything with it. Right. It's like, no, you can still get things for these guys later. Um, you, they, the short of, again, some career ending injury, someone always has some value to some, unless the, the thing's so toxic. It's like Blake's, you know, contract that can't be traded from the Pistons or Kevin Love sort of right now. Like, but these situations are actually fewer and farther between than most people think. And so, right. Like signing Dinwiddie now for the number that is advantageous for you. And then knowing that the value again, short of an injury will still be around something later on. Look at Al Horford. I mean, he had such a terrible contract and he's older than Dinwiddie. He's like, I think he's like 32, 33, if not older. Um, Signed the max with Philadelphia. Looked terrible, like yeah. really bad. Come off the bench, was not working. He gets traded to OKC, albeit with a pick. Um, and then he gets traded to Boston. He's been traded twice in the last year. So any contract is tradable for the most part, um, except for the very severe cases. And, and Spencer's young enough. He's good enough. Teams need dynamic guard play that I, I think he's very movable at some point in the future if it came to that point. But um, like I said, he's just too good to let him leave for nothing. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Um, and and like I said, now Nets fans sometimes they hand ring a little more. Although Nets fans do a little less hand ringing around other people's money than you'd think they would <laughs> around Joseph's side. No, no Nets fan can, no one can spend Joseph's size money faster than a Nets fan. I'll tell you that right now. Oh, he's probably he's probably incredibly um, frustrated that 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 report came out that he just bought that 157 million dollar apartment. Well, um, can I say something about that? Third, like the third most ever. I mean, just with all the fans hammering about Spencer lately, I think that's just definitely bad timing for him. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And it's like, it's one of those things I was trying to say to people the other day. I was thinking, you know, he already has gone over the luxury tax. He's already going to spend. This guy's not cheap. They're one of the few teams that are going to pay a hefty bill. They're like $4. They're like five times one or five X every dollar they spend now into the cap or something like that with some of these things. And got some more stuff to cover with Billy here in a second. First, got to talk to you about our friends over at Bet Online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action with baseball still in full swing. NBA, unfortunately, is over. Go get some of those future bets that they're going to have on uh, Bet Online sooner than later. Also, catch up with UFC MMA on the weekends. That's all there for you on Bet Online. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. It's your chance to get into the game as these teams roll through the regular season and baseball football right around the corner as well. Head on over to the website, make an account that's totally free, but you're going to want to make a deposit. And when you do, you're going to get a deposit bonus, but you have to use the promo code LOCKED ON, just like our podcast network. 50% welcome bonus with a promo code locked on. Go over there, bet online, your online sports book experts. And speaking of that, let's get into this next guy um, who uh, is, is one of the harder guys, I think, that we've had a hard time figuring out what the market value on him is, what the how the team views. I think I have a sense of what the team views him, what the but what the overall market feels about a guy like Bruce Brown, who another one of these guys that the Nets come in. And he's, they get him for you know, basically Jean and Musa. And I think they maybe got a pick with him too. I mean, that's again, in terms of lopsided trades, Nets are on so many of these, it's unbelievable. But um, with Bruce Brown, they bring him in. He comes, he becomes a different player than I think they were getting. Right. I think they, I think we thought he was going to be a different guy. He certainly was a different dude when he played with the Pistons turned into a sort of Swiss army knife uh, of a player, um, effectively an offensive center and a guy who could defend almost one through four. Uh, probably it's probably stretching a little bit, but either way uh, became pretty critical to the defense uh, scheme that they were running. 
Where do you see Bruce Brown? I, this And this is probably two separate questions because there's a question of where the Nets value him and there's a question where the league values him. And I and there's probably the Venn diagram has to overlap at some point because that's where the contract is. But what are your just overall thoughts on Bruce Brown and where you know he maybe lands when, when this offseason is all said and done? Yeah, I just wrote a nice article for Nets Daily kind of getting into all the Bruce Brown stuff. And I think something that a lot of people look past when talking about Bruce Brown's market is kind of what you just mentioned. He had a very niche role with the Nets, um, a role that was very unique. I mean, kind of as that rim rolling five man as a six four guard. So um, he was able to thrive in that role because the Nets have so many offensive creators, so many spacers to keep the defense honest. And his shooting was con- his shooting um, woes were, were mitigated by just how great the offense was around him. On other teams, that wouldn't be the case necessarily. I mean, if you look at the teams around the league with cap space, there's only about eight or so, and I can run down through them. I mean, it's New York, it's Toronto, it's Miami, it's Dallas. I mean, and a lot of those teams seem to look seem like they're going to be going for bigger fish. So Brown's going to have to wait. The Nets are going to have him as a restrictor free agent after tendering a qualifying offer, and the Nets are going to let him go out there and see what he can get. I think they'd like to get him for the five to seven million dollar range. Um, I think Bruins. Brown's going to push for eight to 10 million somewhere else. Um, at that range, you can get some full mid-level offers um, or at around nine, 10 million. So we'll see what happens with Bruce Brown. I think if he's going to come back to the Nets, it might have to be for a little bit of a discount. But at the same time, the teams that have the cap space to give him more, I don't think they're, they're natural fits. The Knicks, they had a high three-point shooting percentage, but they took very few threes. I don't know how he fits next to, we got like RJ Barr, Julius Randle, where they aren't great shooters, even though they shot 40% from three. I mean, we still don't think they're great shooters. I, I don't I don't think that role is similar to what he did with the Nets. I think if he's going to go to a team like the Knicks, he's going to have to become more of, I guess, like a, a Marcus Smart type where he's actually playing as an off guard and he, he improves his handle, he improves his shooting, um, which I think is definitely possible. He's still young and I don't think his shooting is a complete lost cause, but for him to play the way he did with the Nets, I, I think that the amount of suitors he has is very limited because um, there's very few teams that have anywhere near the amount of offensive talent the Nets have. Yeah, I think other teams end up talking themselves into the same thing that you just said, too, because I think it's easy to look at Bruce Brown as a, from another team's perspective and say, oh, yeah, he was perfect for them. Right. But, but we don't have these guys. We don't have James Harden that can get you into the short role like pretty consistently. We don't have a guy like guys like Katie and Kyrie who can command so much uh aspects of the defense that can make Bruce Brown have to, you know, hit some easy, sorry, more difficult floaters over, over some bigger guys at times, but for the most part, just do the things like hustle and sometimes paying for hustle. Cause like every team needs these guys. We just saw this from multiple teams, like in the championship that these guys aren't going to command huge numbers, but you end up needing them along the margins anyway. And Bruce Brown kind of does fit that like piece, right? It's like, I don't know what he does for other, I don't, it'd be very hard for me to see another team convincing themselves to pay like $10 million. And I know John Hollinger's wrote a long piece. We talked about this the other day where he actually had Bruce Brown's number higher than Spencer Dinwiddie's. Um, yeah, that's, I, yeah. that's a Hollinger's metric. I don't know what, what he's doing with it, but I'm very <laughs> critical. I mean, he well, be careful, like, careful. Cause Hollinger's on the lockdown network and we love it. I know he so. had him like, <laughs> he had Hassan Whiteside getting like 16 million last year and he had a minimum. I mean, some of them are way off, but um, yeah. No. So I, yeah, so I, I, we, I, by the way, I don't, we kind of, um, I, he even kind of said it, he couched it by saying, I, I don't agree that this is going to be where the market lands. I'm just, yeah, I, I think he was more talking about, and this actually is fundamental to Bruce Brown is that people do tend to underrate defense and the under, if you underrate defense and you are going to really underrate Bruce Brown because the, the defensive impact he had, uh, was more than anything. So I guess like just to round the back out to Bruce Brown, you think we kind of wait for the market to settle 
like let the let the rest of the market dictate the price and then that's where the nets kind of land with him is that what you say so that's, that's usually how it happens a lot with the the less than priority restricted free agents anyway because i mean they have they're restricted teams have to throw an offer sheet out there and usually as a role player you have to wait for the big chips to fall so i think bruce brown's gonna be someone sitting there on the second week of free agency the nets are gonna wait to see what numbers come in maybe he gets an offer for eight million but he has an offer from the nets for six million and the Nets say, listen, we're not going to match the $8 million. Do you want to be back here? I think you might consider that. So, um, like I said, I, I think the Nets kind of internally feel like James Harden, specifically, with his ability to hit him in the slip pass, um, and that offensive talent really made Brown because he's coming off the, 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 the short roll, and he's got two on Harden. He's got shooters um, spreading the floor out and the defenders staying attached to them. He's got an open lane going to the rim with the big all the way back in the restricted area. And he's got an open floater every time. So, I mean, you're not going to have that with every single team where you have four threats outside of him to keep the defense honest. And if he's not getting to that floater, he really doesn't have a lot to offer offensively. So, um, like I said, I think he has a very niche role. He should be fortunate to be with the Nets. I think playing out this era with them could make him uh, more attractive for a contract thereafter. So I think it would be the smart career play for him to stay with the Nets. I, I, any young player that is like at the crossroads of their career uh, should come to the Nets because again, I feels I mean, short of like Rodians and John and like everyone else is like it feels like everyone else has left the space uh, worth more than they first came in with. All right, Blake Griffin. So Blake comes, he's on the buyout. Um, he, I, in our, my opinion that people have heard us talk about this a million times, um, exceeded my personal expectations by a lot when he came over to the Nets, um, ended up in, more, in much more of an expanded role, uh, ended up being kind of critical to what they were doing, especially defensively uh, against the Bucks, which again, shocked me beyond words, but I'm happy to be here for it. Where do we land with Blake? Do you think they're in a situation where he kind of, well, I, I know I won't put words in your mouth because everyone has already heard me say this a thousand times. What are your thoughts here on Blake Griffin? To me, it almost feels like Blake Griffin, while being a free agent, is a part of this Nets core. Um, it kind of feels like Katie recruited him. He kind of came up the same time as Katie and Harden. He's been in this league. They're kind of at a similar point in their careers where, at least with Harden, they want to get that first ring. He came to the Nets. At the end of the year, he said, I didn't regret coming to the Nets. He's still getting paid 25 plus million from Detroit next year, which is the, really the key factor here. Um, because the Nets would only be able to offer him either the mid level, the mini mid level at about 6 million or his minimum, which is annual pay raises is about 3 million this year. So um, I think the fact that he's making 26 million with the Pistons will allow him to take a minimum contract with the Nets. And I, that's what I expect him to do with the raises at, at maybe 3 million. Um, so that's fully what I expect to happen. I think he was a key piece for them. I think they relied upon him a little bit more than they would have liked, especially after um, Aldridge's retirement and then Claxton kind of faded out in the playoffs, but probably a little less minutes next year to keep him healthy throughout the season and going to the playoffs. But I think he was definitely um, a huge presence for them. And if you look at the, the Bucks playoff run, I think Blake might have guarded Giannis better than any player um, that, that they saw. So um, Blake was really good. I think I was a little surprised defensively. I, I thought he could compete. I always knew he was physical, could move his feet. He's a smart defender, but he was even better than I expected on that end. Um, but I was high on him. I thought he could bring something because veteran players that have high IQs, they know how to move the ball, um, which he, he's always been a very underrated passer. Um, he just gets how to play. He's a smart player. And I think smart players can age gracefully because they can make up for what they've lost in athleticism with, with their mental side. So um, I was high on his fit. And I think when you're a team like the Nets, that's over the cap. Like I said, if they lose it anyway, they have very few avenues to add a player of that caliber. When you get a guy that gets bought out, even if you don't think he's the perfect fit, like talking about Kevin Love this year, even if you don't think he's the perfect fit, 
he's by far better than any minimum player you're going to be able to get. So that's the point. You have to trust your coaching staff, trust your medical team to get them healthy, get them in the building because guys could drop like flies in the playoffs. We saw it this year. If the Nets had Kevin Love, um, obviously saying he's healthy is a big reach to make. But if Kevin Love was healthy, he would have helped them this year. They really didn't have a lot of offensive options. So I think you get as much talent as possible as long as those guys are happy to come here and take a smaller role. And um, that was the case with Blake. And I was definitely very happy with his contributions. And I think he'll be back. And I think that was going to be the case with Aldridge. We were already starting to see it, right? These um, these these guys that kind of come in on these situations. I think Kevin Love has clearly basically signaled that he's in the he's in the part of his career where he's willing to do that. Also, um, yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I totally agree. The part where you don't need to coach the the coaching piece is now needs to be only around scheme. As long as the effort's going to be there, the egos are in check. These aren't these guys aren't egotistical dudes, and like a lot of these guys that end up at this part of their career, especially now in the NBA. Like it's basically been told to them through every media source and just fan that like what their value is now. And I think they all hear it and kind of get it. And they just, and like Blake was a perfect example of this and said, yeah, at one point I was a superstar. It was weird too. I think that the Nets in some ways um, looked to him as it was like a, it was like almost like Bruce Brown, but a little different. It was a spark plug kind of piece where they were like, well, dude, if Blake Griffin is going to get down on the floor and take charges and shit like that. Like we can just do that too. <laughs> and and all these guys looked up to him too. Like this guy was a superstar when a lot of these guys were coming up. And so um, I think it was so important for them to look at him and say, Oh, he's going to just like spill some blood here. Then we have no excuse. And every time Blake dunked, it felt like it was like a throwback thing. Like that the bench yeah. got crazy. It was like, wow, he could still dunk. So, I mean, he had a lot. He's also a great personality. He's a yeah. very funny guy. And I think that's something they missed. And then you mentioned the piece where he's going to be someone that mucks up the game. We said early in the year, who's going to do the dirty work? Who's going to be someone that could start a little bit of a fight? I mean, Blake's that guy. We didn't see in the playoffs, but he was he was mocking P.J. Tucker a little bit with that smirk at the end of the game. He adds a different wrinkle that I think is important and a toughness factor. I mean, Giannis throws a lot of elbows. He's a big, strong guy coming into the paint, and he's taken in the chest time after time. I mean, that was a really solid performance, a gritty and gutty performance. He played 40-plus minutes in Game 7. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I loved what Blake brought. He quickly became one of my favorite players on the team just because of the effort he brings and, and just the different dimension he brings. Yeah, my only concern with him going forward, and I think they'll probably cure this, is he can't play the five all season. I don't think it's too much. It'll be too much for him physically. Like you want, you're fine playing him for the five uh, in playoffs uh, because you're just at max. You're at, you're at the end of the run there. I think um, rolling through a season with him like that, it's just really probably a non untenable situation just from a physicality piece. Like it would just be worthless. Like why why bother? Like you don't need to. I don't think they need to do it. Uh, I'm not sure. Go ahead. I'd love to see Blake and Claxton get back to play. I think that should be your backup four or five going into the year. Um, I, I really liked how they played together early in the year when Aldridge was here. And then once Aldridge left, they kind of needed to play Blake at the five. So we saw less of Blake and Claxton together. But Blake and Claxton together kind of saved Blake a little bit in terms of having to take on those full-time five-man responsibilities. Um, and I think the Nets are looking for a potential starting five-man, even if it's not a lot of minutes, even if it's someone that just plays the start of halves, a big body that can be in there. Um, I think that's something that they, they could definitely look for um, this all season. I think we just see DeAndre Jordan come back and play. I, like I, I was short of the, I mean, the contract, I don't know what, I mean, give me your thoughts on this one real quick. I don't know what you do with the contract. I don't know who's willing to take it. I, but I actually do think there's a world where he fits a need. It's not a, it's not a postseason need, but it's almost like that middle innings reliever, you know, the like, Hey, sometimes we just need a guy, we need a guy to go out there and just pitch like 90 pitches because it's the middle of July. And like, that's just where we are. That's a great analogy. Give us 15 minutes of games. It's like be okay enough to get us through it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he'll be playing with the stars in the starting lineup potentially anyway. They can kind of carry the ship. I mean, and yeah. Like, I, 
bang bodies. Like, I don't know. I just, that's, that's, I, I kind of think that that's where we're going to see him, you know, dap some people up before the game and like, just, you know, play a bunch of regular season minutes. We're going to be in the playoffs anyway. All right, let's roll through a couple more, just uh, smaller things and get your quick opinion on where we are with just free uh, just overall free agency. If there is even anything to be had, Jeff green, um, hugely important to the team this year. They really hurt that the, the foot stuff cut probably reared its ugly head a little too late, uh, especially in that last game where he really just didn't look like himself putting a hero effort, obviously the game before, uh, do you think Jeff Green's back in a Nets uniform next year? I do. Um, the one caveat is that Jeff Green has been vocal about being a minimum player the last four or five years. He thinks he's underpaid, and he probably has been underpaid. Um, but he, he's up in age. I think he's 35 years old. So I'm not sure there's going to be teams jumping to give him more than the minimum, especially considering that's been his market the past few years. So um, I think he's ultimately back with the Nets for the minimum. If he pushes for the mini mid-level, I wonder what the Nets do, because I think they could potentially get a better player than Jeff Green for the mini mid-level. And I think there are backup options to Jeff Green that aren't that far off. So um, I think he'll be back for the minimum, but the Nets do have options in terms of there, because if they want to look at the minimum level, I think they could potentially try and recruit PJ Tucker for that. I think they could potentially look at Otto Porter, Rudy Gay, um, Patty Mills, maybe if Spencer Dimity leaves and they want to back up point guard, even Goran Dragic, I think they could potentially try and recruit for the minimum level. So they're, they're players that I think are better than Jeff Green that they can get for that number. So my stance on it is, Either Green gets the minimum or I let him walk personally. Yeah, those are some interesting names you threw out there. Um, in terms of, is there, is, I'll just ask you, but, you know, we'll just roll into those guys. You rolled through them. Is there, is there a guy in that group that you like above the rest? Um, you know, we're, you know, the, the Nets are sort of in the zone where it's just going to be these sort of maybe twilight guys, right? On the, on, on the, on the downside of the careers, but stuff left in the tank, especially if they don't need to, you know, carry huge loads. Porter's had a bunch of injury issues, obviously in the past, Drogic is just coming off a little bit of a down season. Um, you wouldn't need him to do probably a ton in the offense. These are all very different players, obviously, like these guys all fit um, much different roles. The Nets, I will say the Nets are in an interesting slash good situation. I was having a conversation with uh, someone else about this this morning. When you have certain guys that can kind of do everything, KD is like this, right? Like KD's like this and Harden is like this to some degree, but not really. I wouldn't probably put Kyrie in this camp. But um, when you have guys that you don't need to re-scheme your offense or kind of much of your defense around, it gives you massive um, latitude uh, around who else you can sign. That's why the Nets can throw all these names in there. It's not like you're the – I won't even put it on their team. Some of the teams need to get super specific around who they can sign around certain guys. Right? Someone said to me the other day on, on Twitter, I, I said, I, I think – I even brought up Frank Milikina just as like a third-string guy. Take a chance on why not. You get some defense in there. I think it could be a better piece than TLC potentially. but. Um, I said, I think I, I, I would be okay with him for the Nets. Someone goes, uh, who wouldn't you be okay for the Nets? You want everybody. Right. Uh, and then finally, going back to what you said, I think most of these guys can fit because KD and Harden can both play with without the ball. They can kind of guard, um, two through four at least. So, um, their versatility makes it just kind of talent grabs, bring in the talent and you can fit them around them. They don't really play a very strict scheme. It's kind of just get the ball in the hands of the playmakers and, um, a little pick and roll space the floor. So it's not too complicated. Otto Porter Jr. would probably be my preference of the guys I mentioned. Um, Patty Mills, Goran Dragic are the backup options for Dimwitty. Uh, they would probably be my two, three behind Porter Jr. Um, and then you got, I think I mentioned Rudy Gay. Um, he's there. I think he's a little bit above Jeff Green. And then backup options to Jeff Green, if, if he wanted to leave somewhere for the mini mid-level um, and you can go for the minimum, I still think Carmelo Anthony can do a similar role. <laughs> Um, I think Nick Batum, he might ask for a little bit more, but he could do something there. Ken Baysmore, uh, Tory Craig, Wesley Matthews even. So 
Tony Snell, like there's a few guys in there. Markeith Morris, who I think could bring some toughness. He's made a minimum the last couple of years. Um, so, so there's guys out there. I think there's, it's a, it's a deep class in terms of veteran free agents who might hop on with the nets and, um, go for the best guys. And then from there, you can kind of fill out, uh, the nets rehabbing Frank Nicolina's, uh, value would be the ultimate, the ultimate thing to burn the house down around the net, the nets and Knicks rivalry, right? <laughs> that would be the end of it. I don't think Knicks, Knicks fans might never recover from that because this <laughs> a certain, a certain group of Knicks they fans might, Frank, the fans might just, come over uh, they might just they might just switch teams if they yeah, they ended up actually making him good all right we're gonna get out of here billy reinhardt nets daily you have to be reading him if you want breakdowns on the nets off season he's been crushing it uh go follow him at billy reinhardt on twitter like i said if you're listening to this podcast there's a very good chance you already do uh he's in those twitter streets uh pretty consistently yankee stuff too so go uh, uh follow him over at billy reinhardt at twitter dude thanks so much for jumping on and uh lending your uh, expertise to this off season oh, thanks man thanks for having me all right brother